0: Welcome to Episode 5 of Inner Healing Intelligence. Today, we're going to talk about fear of the unknown and why sitting still is so damn scary. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dr. Lori Little, and I'm a clinical psychologist, mindfulness coach, psychedelic therapist, wife, and mom. My passion is helping people learn to listen to and trust their inner healing intelligence, that part of us that is always moving towards health and growth. Ultimately, when we allow our inner healing intelligence to be our guide, we can stop looking outside of ourselves for answers. We can experience more joy, more peace, and more connection with others than we may have ever thought possible. Although it may sound simple, it is by no means easy. Join me as we discuss the many challenges and opportunities that listening to your inner healing intelligence can bring to your life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Inner Healing Intelligence. The last two episodes, we have explored the reasons why it can be so challenging to listen to and trust our inner wisdom. We explored how a history of chronic invalidation leads us to have difficulties trusting ourselves. And in the last episode, we discussed how having a history of self-sabotage and impulsivity can do the same thing. Today, we're going to explore why it is so scary to sit still and to go within. There are so many aspects to this topic that we could not possibly cover them all in just one episode. Today, I'm going to share three general themes that I often hear with my own patients When we first start practicing mindfulness, when we're sitting still and just noticing what comes up into our awareness or into our minds and into our bodies, in the beginning, it can be a little scary because a lot of it is new and we have fears of the unknown. The first common theme that I hear that people tend to struggle with at first is shame. Shame is the emotion that we feel when we believe that we are not good enough or we have failed in some way or that there is just something fundamentally wrong with who we are as a person. And shame is probably one of the most painful emotions that we can experience. Shame is so painful. And it is important, however, to clarify the difference between shame and guilt. Oftentimes, I hear people interchange these terms, and they're actually a little bit different. I will be talking more about guilt next, but for the time being, just know that guilt is the emotion that we feel when we believe that we have done something wrong, and shame is the emotion when we feel that we are wrong. So shame is really our feelings about ourselves as human beings. Brene Brown is one of the world's leading researchers on shame. So if you discover that learning about shame is something that is helpful for you and you would like to explore this topic in more depth, I highly recommend that you read some of her books. Her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, is a classic book on this topic and a great resource. Many of us walk around with this very low undercurrent of shame, a low level of shame that can be triggered easily by any situation in which we feel incompetent. Chronic shame can come from a history of shame-based parenting, so let me give you a couple of examples. If a child drops their plate and the glass scatters everywhere, a parent could lovingly say, Hey, don't worry about it. Everybody makes mistakes. It's not a problem. Let me help you fix that. Be careful. You know, very loving, kind, non judgmental statements. However, unfortunately, shame-based parenting looks a little bit different. Say the child drops the plate, a shame-based parenting response would be something like, what is wrong with you? How could you be so stupid? You're so clumsy or you're so selfish. You don't appreciate good things. Over time, when children experience this repeated shame-based messages, they will come to internalize them and then carry this chronic shame. When my kids were little, I used to be very intentional about how I would respond to them when they would make a mistake. And one of my favorite memories is how we used to all sing the Everyone Makes Mistakes song from Big Bird and Sesame Street. So one of my kids would make some sort of mistake. We would all sing together. Everyone makes mistakes. So yes, they do. Your sister and your brother and your dad and mother too. And that was kind of a way that we could laugh. And they could also really internalize that message that, hey, you're fine. Everybody makes mistakes and this is part of being human. I just love Sesame Street so much. I feel like that so many... I personally received so many positive messages from Sesame Street growing up in the 70s that just reinforced the idea of you're worthy and important no matter what. In order to escape chronic shame many of us keep ourselves extremely busy. And if you kind of think about yourself and if you are an overachiever, um, an overaccomplisher, you're always on the go, never taking a minute to stop or slow down, that can be a means of trying to keep shame at bay. It's as if busyness becomes a shield to protect us or to prevent us from feeling the emotion of shame. However, all emotions are really just a form of energy. Think of your emotions as a form of energy that needs to be released or expressed in some way, shape, or form. The more you shove your emotions down and try to avoid them and not think about them and push them away, the more likely that emotional energy is going to be expressed in something like maybe stomach pains or physical pain. And a huge component of therapy is being able to verbalize and express those emotions in a verbal way so that we're not actually experiencing it in a physical way understandably, if you have chronic levels of shame, then it's going to be really difficult and scary at first to sit in solitude and to start noticing those feelings and to be aware of the thoughts and maybe even images or memories from the past because it is so painful. The longer that we've avoided looking at some of these things, things. In fact, the more difficult it's going to be. One of the reasons why I really encourage my patients to practice mindfulness in very short increments is that not only is it just hard to do, hard to focus or pay attention for a long period, but it's actually also important to go slowly because of the underlying emotions that might get triggered. As a therapist, I'm not a huge proponent of flooding or overwhelming someone. When you think about uh, getting into a cold pool, you could jump off the diving board into the cold pool and get it over with. But for many folks, that's just too overwhelming and too scary. So I tend to take an approach of, hey, let's first put your toe in and then we'll put your foot in and then we'll slowly get accustomed and uh, acclimated to these emotions. That way, not only is it less painful, but you're also more likely to keep going. If you are aware that you have experienced a lot of shame-based parenting in your life, or for whatever reason, you just realize you carry a lot of feelings of unworthiness, that you aren't good enough, or that somehow you're inherently flawed or broken, then sitting quietly, going within and listening to that inner wisdom will be very scary at first. But I do believe that in time and with lots of self-compassion, Anyone can do it. It's really important that we challenge those shaming internalized messages or stories and replace them with healthy stories, healthy mantras like, I am enough. I am worthy. I love myself no matter what. To be clear, you don't have to believe those mantras yet. That's totally okay. A lot of folks really don't. That's why they come into therapy in the first place. The only thing we really need is for you to want to believe those mantras and to be willing to practice changing those thoughts. So start there And over time, notice how you can also incorporate non-judging into your everyday life. Because remember, when we are judging others or judging the outside, then by necessity we are also judging ourselves and judging the inside. So the better we get at looking at life in a much less judgmental way, the kinder we are going to be to ourselves. And all of this is a skill, just like riding a bike or learning how to drive a car. You can do it. Just trust in the fact that it's going to take some time. The second theme that I often hear that makes it difficult for us to go within is the emotion of guilt. So remember, guilt is feeling bad for something you have done, feeling bad about your actions. So it's similar, but actually different from shame. There are two kinds of guilt. Think about guilt as having either appropriate guilt or inappropriate guilt. Appropriate guilt is the emotion that we feel when we do something that is out of alignment with our values. So for example, if I value my friendship and I do something that hurts my friend's feelings, if I, for example, my friend is having a important birthday party and I just don't make it a priority, I forget to put it in my calendar and I just totally don't show up to that party, it would be appropriate for me to feel guilty because if I value my friend and I value my friendships, I'm clearly doing something or have done something that could potentially hurt her feelings. When we experience appropriate guilt, The thing that you want to do is acknowledge that you are experiencing guilt and then own responsibility for what you have done. If possible, try to apologize and to make a repair. A repair is a concept of what can I do? It can't, undo the mistake that I made. But what we're really trying to do is expand our apology, saying I'm sorry, and following it up with some sort of action or behavior to try to repair that breach. Inappropriate guilt is when we feel guilty for doing something that is actually in alignment with our values, but we just feel guilty anyways. For example, going back to my friend's birthday party, imagine I am on my way to the birthday party and I get a flat tire or have a car accident or something happens as I'm on my way to the party and I unfortunately miss the party. This example shows inappropriate guilt if I am feeling guilty for not going. Now, remember, we can feel disappointed that I didn't get to go, or we can feel sad that we weren't able to spend the time together. But guilt is really inappropriate because I didn't do anything wrong. If we struggle with chronic guilt then it will be very hard for us to sit still and go within, most likely because of the memories and the details that will come up when we think about all of the things that we believe we have done wrong. If there are things in your life that you have done that you actually feel guilty about, it would be very beneficial to think about talking about those issues with a therapist to help you really tease out how much of the guilt that I'm feeling in my life is appropriate and how much of the guilt that I'm feeling is actually inappropriate. Remember, guilt is a useful emotion. We need the emotion of guilt in order to signify to ourselves that we have done something wrong. There are people who live without guilt, and we call them psychopaths. This is not something we want to aspire to. We want to have guilt when we have done something wrong. We don't want a society of people who don't experience guilt. It's a necessary emotion for our society to function. However, It's really sometimes difficult to tease out whether or not the guilt that you're feeling is inappropriate or appropriate. And a hard thing also to do is that even if you're experiencing appropriate guilt, one of the more difficult steps after you have acknowledged it and apologized and tried to make a repair is to let it go oftentimes people continue to beat themselves up for the mistakes that they've made, even after they have owned it, apologized, and made a repair. Learning how to then let it go afterwards and not beat yourself up anymore is crucial to learn how to not live with so much guilt. The third issue that often prevents us from looking within is anxiety and perfectionism. Anxiety is rampant right now. I am seeing more patients with anxiety than I ever have before in the last 25 years. Anxiety presents itself as worrying, worrying about specific things or worrying about everything. Our bodies feel tense or we feel chronically on edge. Our thoughts are also usually future oriented. We might have a lot of what if thoughts, what if this happens, what if that happens, and all of the scenarios we have in our mind are bad we can also experience anxiety in our bodies. Many people, when they are struggling with chronic anxiety, have stomach distress, and you might notice headache pain or jaw clenching. I know for me, I'm a big jaw clencher when I'm feeling stressed and anxious about something which can absolutely trigger a headache when we are anxious, our brains are triggering a fight or flight response. So the brain is sensing that we're in danger, and it's preparing us to either fight this danger or run away from that danger. So there are all sorts of hormones and neurotransmitters and chemicals that are rushing through our body. And therefore, we often want to act Or to move or to run, just sitting still when we're in that fight or flight response is particularly difficult to do. If you struggle with high anxiety, then learning the skill of mindfulness is going to be one of the best decisions that you've ever made. Think of mindfulness as your new best friend. The challenge is you have to be willing to practice it. The beginning is going to be really hard and a little bit scary, but it is a skill that anyone can learn, even if it feels a little unnatural at first. Anxiety's sister is perfectionism. Perfectionistic thinking leads us to feel very anxious because it's an all or nothing type of thinking. When we tell ourselves that Anything that we do, if it is less than perfect, it is not acceptable, then of course, we're going to feel really anxious about that. It's not possible to be perfect, and it's certainly not possible to be perfectly mindful. Remember the puppy analogy that I talked about before, it is totally normal and expected that our minds are going to wander when we practice mindfulness. If you get mad at yourself that you aren't doing mindfulness perfectly, then in a way you are not doing mindfulness because mindfulness is just noticing without judgment. And saying you're not doing it perfectly is a form of judgment. To give yourself space to sit and go within you will have to practice letting go of the perfectionism. And this starts with just noticing that all or nothing thinking and not judging it. One of the traps that we can get into is as we are starting to try to practice non-judging, We notice our judging and then get mad at ourselves for judging. So we're kind of in this vicious cycle. And what I tell people at first, as you're trying to be less judging, is if you notice yourself judging, just notice that. Don't judge it. Don't judge the judging. Just notice that you are being judgmental in this situation and see if you can think of a more compassionate way to look at your situation. Some mantras that can be useful with perfectionistic thinking are things like really focusing on good enough. You don't have to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough. You can also use a mantra like, perfection is a construct. It doesn't exist. Something that really reminds you that your perfectionistic thinking is not realistic or helpful. And remember, you don't have to believe those mantras at first. All you have to do is want to believe them and the rest will follow with practice. To summarize today's episode, there are many, many, many things that make it difficult and scary to pause and to go within and to listen to our inner wisdom. What I have noticed is that shame, guilt, and anxiety are probably the three most often described feelings that come up when my patients are first starting to learn to practice mindfulness. If you can see yourself in any of these descriptions, then just please know that you are not alone. This is normal. This is what many, many people struggle with. A trusted therapist can help you address all of these issues so that you can slowly learn how to sit quietly for longer and longer periods over time with just noticing what comes up without that judgment. Today, we also talked about the use of mantras to help guide you where you want to go. And we also talked about the importance of going very slowly and gently and kindly as you begin this process. I hope this episode has been helpful for you. If there are other issues that you know make it difficult for you to pause and sit and listen within, I would love to hear from you. So please reach out to me at laurielittle.com. I'd love to hear any additional pieces that might be helpful to explore. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to learn more, you can reach me at lorylittle.com where I share additional free resources and lots of information. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could write a review and share it with a friend. See you in the next episode.